When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys, and welcome to a new episode of Couch Talks on Unique Therapy Podcast. My name is Kat. I am the host. And if you're wondering what Couch Talks is, it is the special bonus episode of Unique Therapy Podcast where I answer questions that listeners send to me. And you can email those to me at Catherine at UniqueTherapyPodcast.com. Quick reminder before we get in to Couch Talks today that This podcast does not serve as a replacement or a substitute for actual mental health services, although we hope that every episode helps in some way. So if you are a newer listener to Couch Talks, I answer a question, usually only one, that a listener sends and we keep it anonymous so you don't have to worry about anybody knowing that you sent this question in or any of that. Never will say your name, but just know that whatever you send in the email, most of the time I will read that. So if you don't want me to read something, let me know. Sometimes people say, I want to give you more information, but don't read this when you answer the question. And and that can be helpful and helpful for you because it protects you a little bit more. So we're going to get right into the question today. And here it is. Hi, Kat. I love your podcast. I've been listening to it for a while and look forward to listening to the new one each week. I'm a nurse right now and just started school for clinical mental health counseling. I've been struggling with an eating disorder for about five and a half years. I am getting to a point in recovery where I feel as though it should be getting easier, but it's only getting much harder. Do you have any tips on how to keep going and or how to not feel like I'm making a total mistake by going back to school to be a therapist while I still have a mental health disorder? Thank you. Okay, so this question is really good and I'm going to split it into those two parts. So the first part that you said was tips on how to kind of keep going when recovery keeps being hard. What do I need or what might be helpful? And then also, how do I feel like I'm not making a mistake by going back to school to be a therapist when I'm struggling myself? So I want to tackle that question first because it's something that I think comes up a lot. A lot of people wonder but never ask out loud like, oh, 
I have some stuff. Like, can I still be a therapist even though I struggle with some of the things that I might be helping my clients with? So let's start there. So is it a mistake for going back to school while you have a mental health disorder or you have any issues going on or can you still be a therapist while you're struggling yourself? Can both things happen at the same time? And we're going to start with my favorite way to answer questions by saying it depends. Yes and also sometimes no. The severity of what you're going through is really crucial and it's pretty common. A lot of therapists become therapists because they've had some experience with therapy themselves or their own mental health journey themselves. So Obviously, therapists all over the place have and have had their own struggles and possible diagnoses that their clients might also have. This does not mean they can't be a good therapist. And actually, a lot of times it gives them some leverage because they've gone through that experience and they know what it really feels like. So I think a better question to ask rather than, oh, I don't know, like, am I making a mistake? Can I do this? It's what do I need to be able to take care of myself and also show up as a therapist at the same time? And is it possible to get that? If you're actively in crisis mode, it can make things really difficult to do your job, often nearly impossible. So like I said, the severity is very important. But we're all bound to struggle just as the rest of humanity, right? As we move through life. I say therapies for everybody. Well, therapies for therapists too, because we're also part of the everybody. So it would be really unfair to say that you can't be a therapist if you have your own stuff. With that, we have to acknowledge our stuff because our unfinished work can make it impossible to show up unbiased with clients. I might experience countertransference more if I'm avoiding my own behaviors, and then I might minimize or project what I'm trying to avoid onto my clients. And we don't want to do that. I also believe that authenticity is really, really important to own and to stand in as a therapist. And if we're avoiding our own work, then it can create like a thicker blanket of shame on what we need to acknowledge. So then we get deeper in our stuff and deeper in our struggles. So we have to be really honest and show up as authentic. And there's a difference between being authentic and being transparent. We don't need to be transparent with our clients. Absolutely not. But we do need to be authentic. And if we're teaching people how to be authentic, we have to be able to model that because then we're going to give them a very skewed, warped view of what that is. And as I say this, this is not to say that I haven't had really hard days and hard weeks and hard months while working and while being a therapist. Quite the opposite. I've had all of those. And what I would encourage anybody who is is working on something like an eating disorder while they're in school for therapy or even while they are a therapist, make sure you have a active support team. And I say team like that's more than one person. You need to have a group of people that can help keep you accountable and also support you so you can show up and be honest. And something else to consider, if I'm active in an eating disorder, we have to look at severity. This is a very sticky and iffy thing to talk about to a mass group of people because again, it depends and it very much depends on a variety of things. But if I have struggled with an eating disorder before and I'm in early recovery or some of my behaviors are popping up, that might be a clue to me that, hey, I need some boundaries and it's important for me not to work with those clients because I can't show up with what they need and they might be triggering stuff in me. And that's something to know. Like not every therapist can work with every type of client and that's not a bad thing. That's good. Hey, I'm noticing what I'm not good at and what doesn't help me stay grounded in what I've learned and what I've worked on in my own therapy. That's okay. 
You may also want to consider engaging in just extra coping skills. Like even when you think you're fine, just some extra self-care, some extra love. You take some extra precautions and you might need some extra supervision with some clients because it's just really important to put our clients first when it comes to us giving them care. They are trusting us with their mental health. And if I feel like I'm putting someone at risk because I can't show up because of my own stuff, that's a big red flag. And I need to put myself first so then somebody else can put my clients first. So both of us are being put first, but in different ways, if that makes sense. Again, everybody's going to have a day or days when they are thinking to themselves, like, what just happened? What did I do? Did my stuff just get in the way? Like, was I experiencing some some counter-transference, like that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when our own struggles are consistently getting in the way of our ability to maintain our recovery or get what we need or getting in the way of me actually giving a client what they need. If my quality of health is interfering in my ability to give quality care. What I can't do is force you and make you understand that you're not making a mistake because for all I know there's some digging that you might need to do with your own therapist about that to be more grounded in your belief about yourself and what you're doing so what I can't do is tell you oh yeah you're making a mistake or no you're not and this is why but I can encourage you to talk about your situation with hopefully a therapist or maybe even some of the people, some of your professors or teachers or ask other therapists, like how do they cope with this and what does that look like for them? So you can look at like, hey, am I trying to minimize what I'm going through or am I catastrophizing what I'm going through? Both of those are extremes and we like gray over here. So we need to make sure if we're doing one of those. Now for the second part, You ask for tips to help ease the continued difficulty of recovery. Like, what do I need to do to allow myself to keep staying in this and keep trying and keep giving myself the care that I need, even though it's consistently hard? And I always like to say, we need to find ways to make it easier for us to succeed rather than ways to push us through hard things. And that might be confusing. Like, what do you mean by that? And I'm going to explain. So eating disorders are often lifelong battles. And I don't say that to scare you, but I say that because... We can be in recovery, but staying in recovery can still feel like there's work to be done. It doesn't just like, oh, you, we are in recovery now and now you can just, you know, not worry about anything and just act like you're in recovery. No, like to stay in recovery, there are things that I have learned to get to this place that I have to still do. And when I stop doing them, well, no bueno. And the thing about eating disorders is you're facing your addiction every single day and it's glorified and glamorized and it's pretty easy at times to make unhealthy behaviors that are part of our eating disorder look okay and kind of like convince ourselves that like, oh, you know, I'm this is taking care of myself because this said this on this commercial or this person said this on TikTok and you can rationalize a lot of that behavior. I also think there is a hump in recovery that isn't talked about nearly enough and maybe this is what you're in sometimes recovery can be really really exciting in the beginning you're getting this new lease on life you're rejecting old beliefs and while that is scary the changes can feel like so empowering because oftentimes the changes that you're making can can be kind of extreme and what I don't think is talked about in this part is while that is happening, while we're doing this stuff and we're excited and we're feeling this rush of this new lease on life, our addictions are doing these push-ups in the back of our minds, in the back of our heads, while we're kind of ignoring them. 
And then we get to a point where the newness has worn off and we start to wonder if we made a mistake. And then just at the point where we're like, oh, you know, this isn't as fun and bright and shiny anymore. That addiction comes slipping through the cracks with new tricks and like bigger biceps. And it can feel really hard to fight back. And we've lost some steam already. And so then we lose even more steam because we're like fighting this bigger battle. And we start to think, is it always going to be this way? You know, I'm just going to go back to how it was before because this is exhausting. And then we start to get this rosy retrospect and we forget how exhausting also a life full of an eating disorder was as well. And I really want to normalize the experience of recovery getting harder because it is normal. It is something a lot of people experience and there might be some shame wrapped up in that of like, oh, it shouldn't be this hard anymore. Like, what am I not doing or what's wrong with me or my situation is different and it happens a lot. I want to encourage people to not get fancy with your recovery. When it is hard, let it be hard and go back to the basics. Eating disorders are usually developed as a means or a way to survive something. So it makes sense that those survival instincts come back. They will come back. And instead of getting down on yourself, offer yourself some perspective, some understanding, and a big load of compassion. You might need to re- reevaluate the content you allow yourself to consume. Maybe you're causing yourself some extra hoops to jump through that you might not want to jump through. And you might not need to jump through. And it's scientifically proven that the people around us have a direct impact on what we think and how we feel. And in today's culture, what we have lacked in acknowledging is we know that's true, but sometimes the people around us, in quotes, tend to be online personalities, influencers, celebrities, and we might want to reevaluate if we want to jump through those hoops, if we want that stuff to rub, rub off on us and we have to fight that. So that's one thing I would just encourage you to look at. Do I need more support? Like, do I need to go back to the basics? Do I need to talk about this more? You might think, oh, I've been there. I've done that. I've processed this. I've gone through that. But if you're having thoughts and struggles in your brain, not processing those with a therapist is not going to help you. If you're cycling in your head, you need to get that stuff out. Journal it, draw it, paint it, get it out. And again, I say this going back to the basics, what helped in the beginning. Okay, we're not above that. We might have to go back and do that again. And the last thing I'll say is, and it kind of goes with the like reevaluate the people that were following and around is it's just boundaries. Do I need to tighten up boundaries a bit? There are things that I personally will never be able to just not care about. There are conversations that I can't have in places that I don't want to go because they don't make me feel good. And if I do go to them, Again, I put myself in a position to have to jump through a hoop that is not necessary and that's going to wear on you. So I have to ask myself, am I making it harder on myself? Am I adding like salt to the wound by saying, oh, you know, those boundaries can be a little looser. I don't need that anymore. I could do that now. I can handle that. Well, maybe you tried it and didn't work. So we need to take a step back and reevaluate our boundaries. Again, it goes back to how do I make things easier for me to succeed? We don't have to challenge ourselves all the time if it's not helping us. There is a time for a challenge and there's a time to say, that challenge isn't really worth it. I don't need to push through it. I can take responsibility for what doesn't work for me. And again, what I want to say is with this therapy, 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 if that is something that you are able to access and if you're in school to be a therapist, especially a lot of programs, you have to be in therapy to graduate. So use that. Allow yourself to use that. Bring it up then. Ask these questions that you're asking me in that room and see what comes up. Therapy programs, grad programs can bring up a lot of stuff, stuff that we 
never thought about, stuff that we thought we had gotten through already. And so there could be some internal sense of self-work coming up. Also think about, like I said before, when we're talking about counter-transference, how like our clients are bringing stuff up in us, we need to acknowledge that. And if if, if that's a hoop that I'm pushing myself to jump through, I need to say, hey, maybe I'm learning something about this countertransference and I need to create boundaries around how I engage with clients or the types of clients I work with. So I could talk about this all day, per usual. I can talk about a lot of things all day, but I want to acknowledge that like, yeah, five and a half years, it sounds that you've been doing this for long enough and it should just like, you know, I should be at this point now, but Recovery, although we want it to be super linear and like a straight path straight up, it can be really squiggly. And we sometimes have to go back to the beginning and back to the basics and reevaluate things. And so allow yourself to do that. Allow yourself to acknowledge that it's hard, knowing that that is not something to be ashamed of. It's just kind of part of the process for a lot of people. So hope that was helpful as always. And I hope you guys are having the day you need to have. I also hope that I, I see some of you guys on Saturday at the four things with Amy Brown live show that's in Nashville. I will be there. And so um, I look forward to seeing some of you guys and us having the night we need to have at that point. So if you're coming on Saturday, I will see you Saturday. And if not, I will talk to you guys again on Monday. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.